One of the worst job interview questions you've experienced as a scientist. I was interviewing for the PhD program of my dreams when my potential advisor invited me to look at a sample under the microscope. I meant to grab the eyepiece, but my maneuver went spectacularly wrong when my finger got caught between the two middle buttons of his shirt. What the f- The thoughts and views expressed in this podcast are my own opinions. They do not reflect the values of my employers. Hello, welcome back to the Crossover Connections with Jack Wayne podcast. My name is Jack and we talk about the business of science and how the latest headlines in science the technology informs us about the jobs of the future. Today, we're talking about that scary, anxiety-ridden process in any field that is the job interview. Anxiety-ridden social cues followed with very technical subject matter that make these interview processes some of the worst known in any industry. I want to walk through the process of what it takes to apply for a job interview as a scientist, as a university or college professor or a faculty member if you're in the States. I am a college professor and the first question a lot of people are curious about, especially if they're doing their PhDs, how you land your first big job as a scientist at some big university or a research institution and that process has really changed over the years. Then versus now, what was it like applying for a college professor position 20 years ago as opposed to today? The first article is from Science published in 2006 titled How to Get a Job in Academia and it goes through interviews recruitment panels at various different universities in the United States and tries to give you different perspectives about different kinds of institutions and what they're looking for. In Amherst College, which is one of the nation's top-ranking liberal arts colleges based in Massachusetts, their interview process is really focused around applicants to have a background that will allow them to set up and maintain a research program appropriate to an institution and also managing a teaching load that's heavier than most research institutions. They want to see evidence from the candidates that they're able to keep their research going while simultaneously developing their teaching and really they're looking for three to five years postdoc experience to allow them to reach a certain level of maturity. Three to five years postdoc experience is actually really quick. I think if you look at other more research intensive universities, there are higher bars for applicants to jump. If you then look at another university, University of California, Berkeley, their hiring process really looks for proven track record and getting financial support. That is something that wasn't so obvious in that first example, but that proven track record of financial support is really, really important in a lot of different research intensive institutions. And the same is kind of observed in Columbia University where they're looking for publications in the top tier journals, which of course is tied to that candidate's ability to attract funding for their work and for the university. But still, these are relatively junior people they're hiring, again, with three to five years post doctoral experience. So the vast majority of your productivity is either during your PhD or in the first three to five year window. And they're looking for good publications, some funding, and hopefully you are a competitive and engaging in-person speaker who can contribute to teaching. How has that process changed 20 years down the track? And what is it like getting a faculty position or a college professor job in the 2020s? The next article was published in 2021, and it talks about obtaining a faculty position in STEM at a research intensive institution. And straight away, this is a journal article, but if you flick through the article, which is linked in the show notes, you can see that it is a much more detailed and a much more intensive document than that previous document published in 2006. There are a huge amount of hurdles, even more hurdles than there were 20 years ago. And really a career at a research intensive institution, there is a lot more expectations across both research 
research, teaching, as well as service. Beyond writing a generic cover letter, which talks about your narrative of what you're trying to accomplish in your career and how your values align with that institution's mission, their strategic approach or value proposition. You then need to have a research statement about where you're going to get funding from, if you already have funding, what you plan to do with it, as well as your teaching statement, a teaching philosophy, what kind of classes you've taught before in different instructional modes, whether it's face-to-face, whether it's online, really big classes, really small classes, undergrad or postgrad. And on top of that, you need to have a diversity and inclusion statement, which talks about how you foster inclusion and embracing diversity in all the areas of your work. Straight away, you see that it is much more complex of a process in this day and age to apply for a faculty level position at any kind of college at the research intensive institutions and universities this process is a lot more difficult than it was 20 years ago but what hasn't changed are those tent poles of academia right it still comes down to your research your teaching and your service and engagement and that will look and sound different in different countries and different organizations but it's essentially what committees you're on what volunteer work are you doing what kind of engagement are you doing with the general public out there in the community are you elevating your discipline at a national at an international level those are the areas and domains that people generally are looking for and I have been on a number of recruitment panels for junior academic staff and I can tell you that five years ago the selection criteria are pretty much the same but the quality of applicants that are going for these jobs is way way higher almost everyone that interviewed for entry-level positions that i've ever been part of the interview panel for they already have quite a lot of their own funding for their research one of the tiebreakers interestingly is that not that many applicants actually have that much teaching experience i wouldn't have thought that's the thing that broke the tie but that seems to give people much broader awareness of how universities and colleges work. If you're teaching, you're interacting with more administrative and professional staff, you're interacting with more students, you're dealing with students who have issues, whether they be mental health or ongoing support that they need throughout the semester. And that will make you a much more well-rounded candidate. It doesn't mean that if you don't publish in top tier journals and you don't have research funding and all you do is teach and have a really good understanding of the university, that you'll be competitive. But all of those other roles, they will break a tie with people who have just as good research as you, if not a little bit better, dabbling in different areas, even if you're very focused on your research, one small bit of activity going in one of those other domains, whether it be teaching or service and engagement, those core principles remain the same. But that's just you on paper. Once you get into the room, into that job interview panel, it's a different game. Job interviews are not on the level. The questions they're asking you should not be answered and taken literally should not be answered for the question itself it's always at the indirect message you're sending through the answer to the question like a presidential debate when they ask you what is the biggest problem facing a country it's not so much no one knows what the biggest problem is and you're the one to tell us how your strategy for solving that biggest problem reveals about your character or value as a potential politician or presidential candidate it's the same kind of thing in job interviews the answer is not actually about the question. You have to answer the questions while addressing some other amorphous indirect part of you. And this is arguably very sneaky. And one of the tactics that is very sneaky is something called the coffee cup test. The coffee cup test is a hiring strategy. The recruiter takes candidates for a walk to the kitchen to offer them a drink, whether it be water, coffee, a cup of tea, or a soft drink. They then go back to the interview room, have the interview, 
And at the end of the interview, they want to see if that candidate voluntarily takes the cup back to the kitchen. The person who would take their own cup back to the kitchen, whether they wash it up or put it away or at least ask someone what to do with it, that shows a very considerate person and someone who plays nicely in their organizational culture. And the quote here is that you can develop skills, you can gain knowledge, you can gain experience, but really it comes down to attitude. And they were trying to find the lowest level task they could find, regardless of what you do inside the organization. And that is still super important. And most candidates that at least offered take their cup back the only few that didn't were ruled out of that interview pool it is like inviting a house guest over the last thing i would personally want is for that person to start washing up the cup at my house i like to do my dishes in a very specific way and my infection control protocols are very stringent as a microbiologist they might break them so i don't want other people to do that in my house and i certainly wouldn't use that as an interview technique. I guess what I would do in that situation is instinctively, I would probably offer to at least take the cup somewhere. It certainly wouldn't make me think that was a deal breaker if I didn't do it. These are the mind games some of these employees are playing through the vehicle of job interviews, which are way more anxiety ridden than they have any right to be. Another article from The Guardian talks about the five worst job interview questions that people have been asked of late. How do you feel your life has worked out for you so far? What a terrible loaded psychological trick of a question. How do you feel your life has worked out for you so far? Well, obviously it can't be going that great if you're here interviewing at this job. This question actually invited the applicant to post a two to five minute video response and expecting the applicant to be a very effective editor of their videos and be very confident on a camera. This could be a new low in the always humiliating experience that is the job interview and really job interviews are humiliating. I've never been through a job interview process where I didn't feel thoroughly humiliated by the end. That's just how these processes go, whether they be in your mind or literally built into the process. Let's go through five of these worst job interview questions in this article. If you were a piece of fruit, what would you be? Terrible question. If I was a piece of fruit, what would I be? I guess an apple? Crisp? Fresh? There's no right answer, I don't think. Apparently, the correct answer here is an apple. I somehow stumbled onto the correct answer, but maybe it's because apple is the most boring fruit. You're not giving anything away about yourself here. How would you respond if you were being sexually harassed by your boss? Obviously, this is just your understanding of policy. It's reported to HR, reported to your boss. If your boss is the one sexually harassing you, report it to your boss's boss's boss. Okay, what is the worst mistake you have ever made at work and what will you do to fix it? I guess the best way of answering this question is to talk about your overcorrection for a mistake where maybe you use some resources that you weren't intending on using, but still led to a good outcome that showed your overconservative approach to some types of of work. The example here is instead of printing 10 copies, which is all you needed, you produced 100 copies. So you use a lot of extra resources, but you were very ready with extra things, but you didn't need to do the extra work that you ended up doing anyway. The worst mistake I've ever made at work is probably thinking I was ready for these job interviews when in fact I wasn't. There's no great answer to this. Talk about a situation where you were overprepared and did more than you had to, and you've learned over time how to work smarter, not just harder. Next worst job interview question, you've got a rather varied CV. Why have you never managed to stick at 
anything. If you've only stayed in one place and accomplished lots of great things, they will say, why have you only ever been at one place? If you've jumped around and moved to lots of different jobs, they will say, why have you not ever stuck around at one single job? There is no correct way to do this. There is no perfect career trajectory. If you've bounced around a lot, all you can focus on is you love learning new skills and having new experiences. And at every stop of the way, you've led key outcomes that are strategically aligned with that institution or that organization's values before you moved on, which is another reason why the idea of quite quitting, which we've talked about in a previous episode linked up here, it's really important to leave any job with some key outcome that you can point to before you move on to the next position. The last worst job interview question is one that is very generic. Where do you see yourself or what do you see yourself doing in five years time? With any luck, I'll still be here doing a good job for you. Hopefully you've seen the organizational hierarchy chart for that organization. So you know, hey, I'm applying for this job and the next rung up, the next rung up, you can talk about the positions within an organization. Another great place for looking at job interview horror stories is Reddit and this thread linked in the show notes below. What was the worst job interview you've had? Has 57,000 upvotes and 18,000 comments. So clearly bad job interviews are a real thing and they're a plague among job applicants. If you could be any animal, what would you be? The person answered otter because they're fun, active, work well with their hands and cute as anything. And apparently the organization was looking for predators. So we only hide predators, not prey. They were looking for lions, tigers and snakes or something like that. That should have been a red flag that that organization is a little dicey at best with respect to their company culture. What animal would I be? I think I'd be a giraffe so I can see into the future, see above everyone and predict what's going to happen next and preempt the next innovation. That for free. You can take that one if you've asked what animal would you be in a job interview setting. I had an interview where I knew the answers. I gave a good solid examples. I understood the technical side really well, but the interviewer kept sneering, being rude and saying, really? 40 minutes into the whole interview, a light switch goes off and the interview all of a sudden becomes super, super nice. He started selling the role and the position and saying, hey, you know, we're a really good company. You should work for us because their interview technique is to live stream the interviewee to a whole panel and to throw insults at them to to see how that person will respond under pressure and respond to rudeness and jerkiness. And if the person remained very polite and calm, that was a great sign that this person would be a good fit at a company. But the person then declined that job because of course, why would you want to work at a place where insolence and rudeness is the baseline expectation? The job interviews I've been in haven't been quite this overtly rude. They have tried to ask very thought-provoking, if not outright provocative questions. And when I'm trying to give a response, just not make any eye contact and stare down at their notes and write furiously. No feedback at all, nothing to give it away about how I'm doing during the process. And they're literally leaving me in the dark because again, job interviews are not on the level. They're not designed to make you feel comfortable. They're designed to really push you to the boundaries and see what you're made of. But nevertheless, these are horror stories that we all have to get through, right? There's no way around this. And it's not about the questions. It's not about giving the right answer. It's about those intangibles, those indirect things that are coming out, those soft skills, which we also talked about in a previous episode, make you a good organizational fit. There is the additional complicating factor that in science, your job is very different from other jobs. It's a combination of hands-on skills with theoretical understanding and written and oral communication. And you have to kind of make up the job that you want to do and apply for funding for that job that no one has ever done before in your own context. And if you can 
survive in science, you can pretty much survive in any other job, any other industry. So for those of you who are having a difficult time in science and trying to learn all these troubleshooting skills and not sure if you're really good at it or you're getting better at it, if you ever decide to pull the plug and move to a different industry, you'll be way more effective at whatever job you throw yourself into precisely because of how hard those science research positions and those kinds of roles tend to be. And case in point, this interview process for not even a job, just for a PhD position published as kind of an op-ed in the careers page in science. During the interview, they were looking at a microscope as part of a competency assessment and the interviewee accidentally grabbed the shirt of their male interviewer and pulled the undershirt out of the waist of his pants. And this was the second phase of a selection process for an international PhD program. The professor was unfazed, asked the interviewee to continue looking at the sample. The applicant stayed calm, took charge of the situation and said, I'm so sorry, there is a non-uniformly stained part of the cell. Which organelle is it? When confronted with challenges, this person managed to keep a cool head that was actually a successful interview. Who would have thought this person was successful for that position because the person was looking for a dedicated troubleshooter who won't freak out at time of crisis. Even if the person didn't accidentally bump the person, the interviewer in the face or mess up their clothing, if there was a difficult problem or they couldn't focus on the sample in the microscope, they could walk through the process of figuring it out. There is this additional hurdle of being calm under pressure. So science interviews, unfortunately, may have even more provocative statements than those coffee cup tests, than those uh, hurling insults that you, you have to show your ability to think on your feet and solve problems. And some of these could be very technical problems you need to address. This makes it sound almost impossible, doesn't it? But again, the job interview process is just one small hurdle. And if I can give you one tip from all these years of applying for different jobs and sitting on job selection interview panels as well. Look, when I'm on those panels, I do my best not to ask trick questions. I'm proud of myself and never having asked a trick question. One big idea. At the end of that job interview process, you should be memorable because you have focused your answers all around one big idea, which is something that's very common in marketing. The idea that a product will not be remembered unless all the avenues of the advertising and marketing campaign emphasize a single idea. And that single idea could be, look, I am really focused on trying out new things and innovation. So in any aspect of your answer, it's always focused on finding new ways of doing things and trying new things. You infuse that into every answer you give. And that is your one big idea on top of all your accomplishments, on top of all of your achievements. It's this other intangible. Just try to be yourself, the best version of yourself, because in a few years time, it will not even matter anymore when AI takes over this whole job interview process. A job candidate is presented with questions on screen and text form that they answer and submit via either text or video. I suspect video is going to be more and more common because they can get more information from the video than they can just from a text-based response. Completely automated. You're talking to a black screen. These companies won't even serve you with enough dignity and self-respect to roll some human out to talk to you. You're just talking to a computer. And the trick here is that it's an algorithm that reviews and judges your video submission. So they're looking for patterns. They're not looking for the best answer in the world. They're looking for patterns. Then you could 
train yourself to use those patterns that they're looking for. Verbal data, the words they use, vocal data, the manner of speech and delivery. And really what you're doing is trying to eliminate any red flags for their algorithm. Service the video, good eye contact makes a lot of sense as well. How you project your voice, if you're mumbling a lot or if you're speaking up nice and clearly, are your shoulders upright or are you slouching quite a bit? Also, are you fidgeting with your hands? Are you sweating? Are you nervous? All of these things play into these patterns that the AI algorithm is trying to detect to rule you out as a candidate. Hopefully there's no AI algorithm that's got the final say as to whether you're hard or not, but all you're trying to do is to move to the next stage of the recruitment and selection process. If you do go into AI job interview, you do have to pretend like you're talking to a human and a lot of practice can be had in this space simply by doing mock interviews, recording yourself to camera where the camera is the fake human. I've been doing this for about two years now. So hopefully I'm pretty natural in front of an AI job interview robot, in this case, the camera. And the next tip is really important. Mind the job description for keywords and use them. This is the same approach I give my students to answer exam questions. Look for the keywords in the the exam question, go back to your lecture notes and textbook, highlight all these keywords and put together a concept map of how all these keywords are connected to each other so that you understand how to string them together into a cohesive sentence. Companies instruct AI to assess job applicants based on predefined criteria related to overall goals. So you're looking for duties and qualifications for the job. You're looking for the value statement of the company, the strategic goals, the five-year plans, have all of those keywords and concepts lined up in a pre-rehearsed answer and use as many of them in your response as possible. You never know how the job interview process will go. In all likelihood, it's going to get more humiliating and more tough as the years go on, not simpler. But with the tips we talked about today, with the understanding of the one big idea that is indirectly communicated in every one of the answers, I'm sure you will survive to the next round of the selection criteria. And it's up to you if you want to end up working for an organization which puts you through that process. If you're interested in how scientists manage failure as part of their daily routine and what happens to failed scientists. You can find that video linked here when it's ready to go. I'm Jack. Hope to connect with you again in the next episode.